Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Wisconsin lost last night. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chip. There's all these messages. Yeah, they get Ohio State. <laughs> okay. Um, for our people that are online, uh, you can text me, and I'll kind of watch my phone occasionally. And uh, if I can respond to it, we will. We do want to welcome to our online students this morning. Pastor Chip, when you did weddings, did you ever use the Lutheran Book of Worship, the Green Book? I did. Did you use the prayer for the bride and groom? Probably not. Oh, really? Well, I did, and this is it. So, on your handouts, if we can pray, and when we get to the name of the bride and groom, um, you can pray for your own marriage, you can pray for um, a marriage of your children, or for friends, or the most recent wedding you attended. Let us pray. Together. Eternal God, our Creator and Redeemer, as you gladdened the wedding at Cana in Galilee by the presence of your Son, so by His presence now bring joy to this wedding. Look in favor upon and, and grant that they, rejoicing in all your gifts, May at length celebrate with Christ the marriage feast which has no end. Amen. Okay. Um, um, Chip is back, and it's really good to have him back, and uh, it's all yours. This is going to be really messy. <laughs> what can I say? Not for long. They're petitioning in Wisconsin to have you win locate so they can keep winning. <laughs> uh, just have you know, beyond the wonderfulness of seeing my beloved Badgers and my Packers both win last weekend, that was a low light comparison to spending time with my two sons. Great. Great. That was the best. And if any of you are friends with me on Facebook, my son, who's a writer, wrote every day about what we did. And it's awesome. He's a really good writer, and I happen to love my children almost as much as I love my wife. Because <laughs> birthday it is today. Seriously, that probably would never happen. 
But uh, my part of this today is not so much to talk about that as to talk about what leads up to this. And uh, if we uh, look at the Gospel of John, which happens to be my favorite gospel, I don't know about you, but no, nope. <laughs> it's not really uh, because I think John's gospel kind of soars above the rest in, in a theological sort of way, all right? And of course, the, the, the symbol for the gospel of John is what? The eagle, yeah. all right? So, so in that sense, I think it, it does that. It's more of a theological treatise, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, but in John's gospel, uh, where we read today that this is the first of the signs that he does. Which one? See, I'm technologically impaired. Ah! Look at that. See, now I think that's really exciting for a couple of reasons. You know, the, the catcher has to give the signs. And thankfully, the Yankee catcher did not give good signs last night. (laughs) (laughs) And the Astros won. However, the Nationals are on a roll. (laughs) (laughs) If if the Nationals are on a roll, they must be your hero. So are they your hero role? Yeah. So, signs, if you think about that in our life, how many signs do we get? A lot of them, don't we, along, along the journey. This is just one of them, all right? Then there's road signs. Look at that. Look at that. I'll just have you know that Monday night it was warmer than it was on Saturday afternoon in Madison. It was great, but... We gotta follow these signs. How many of you uh, follow the signs? Oh, I know a better way, right? <laughs> I know the other way. I can do this. I don't have to do that. But <laughs> GPS, and, and we say, well, that's not right, right? <laughs> and we just do it our we do it our own way, right? Uh, I'll do it my way, right? Remember that one? But signs are important in our life, aren't they? They they help to give us some direction in our life. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know why Bill put this up, but... I, I figured it would warm your heart. It does warm my heart. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, the, the, one of the highlights, I met one of the Packer players after the game the other night. Because my son was his, uh, uh, at Auburn University, my son did all the stuff with uh, uh, public relations with the football team. So we got, we got to go into the, the locker room the team locker room after the game. Wow. And that met his family and a bunch of other. Uh, it's, it's really a neat thing. What a nice young man. And you know what? What was so great about it is what he said. My son said to him, hey, thanks for getting, we got, he got us the tickets. Right? Three tickets. That's pretty wow. neat. And my son said, hey, thank you. And he says, no, don't thank me. I thank you for coming to see me. That's awesome. Yeah. See? That's a sign that this, this young man kind of gets it. So we got to follow the signs. What is a sign? What do you think? What do you think a sign is? Yeah. And in John's Gospel, there's the book of signs up through chapter 11. All right? And the Book of Signs relate to us these wonderful uh, uh, accounts of things that are happening in the lives of God's people. And the first of those signs is this wedding at Cana in Galilee. And weddings were week-long events there, all right, if we can understand that. And, and they would move. They were, they were, it was a movable venue, you know, to family homes and all those kinds of things. And... and uh, people participated in that. So where we have this, the first of the signs today, uh, it, it's pretty, it, it, pretty important for us to, to understand the, the changing things in people's lives. All right? So the signs keep going, though. All right? uh, 
Then after the water into wine, then we have, do we have that on here too? Yeah, yeah. you'll have to skip, skip the next two. There we go. This is from the book, what we know as the Book of Signs, all right? The healing of your royal official son, the healing of the paralytic at, at the Bethesda pool, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the healing of the man born blind, the raising of Lazarus. See what's happening here? How this is, is, this is playing out? And, and, and for the Gospel of John, this is the whole first part of the Gospel, and then everything focuses on what after that? Jesus and suffering, death, and resurrection. Right? Which is the ultimate sign of what? And redemption? The ultimate sign of God's love for us. In a sense, he loved us so much that he would really get involved in what we would call, Pastor Harmon would call what? A messy situation. How messy was it? Very messy. Why? Why was it so messy? The cross was the most shameful form of punishment. Yeah. What else? The born God being crucified for blasphemy. Yeah. How disordered can you get? Yeah. But see how God was willing to be that messy? He was willing to put on the flesh to be one of us, to live among us, to do what we did, right? And, and throughout the signs, all right, he was always coming into the lives of people at a critical point, right, and cleaning up a mess. The ultimate mess that he cleaned up is what? Ours. Ours. And, and I keep maintaining, if he only had to clean up this mess, it would have been way too much. But he cleaned up what? What, is, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. Who's that? You are the world. We are the people. That's us. All right? And God was meeting us on the turf that God created for us. All right? And in doing so, he said, let's take on the difficulties that each of you have, each of all of my creation has, and I have a sign for you, a sign to say how much you are worth. How much you are worth. Think about that for a minute. How much are you worth? Don't they, in, in, uh, in some ways, they try to evaluate our chemical makeup and how much we would be worth? You know, uh, you know? And I say, but aren't we worth way more than that to God, John? The way I like to answer that is to say a Ferrari is $300 worth of metal, plastic, glass, <coughs> paint, flakes, whatever. Go to the Ferrari dealer and try to get it for that price. It's how the stuff's put together that matters, but a Ferrari is like $300 worth of metal, paint, and glass. Big deal. Why do you charge so much? Because of the way it's put together. Yeah. Well, how much are we worth then? A lot. More than that. All right. More than that. And and the reality is, the reason we're worth more than that is that, in a sense, as as we think about this, Jesus focused on us. Right. Do you ever think about that? He knows you by name. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's pretty awesome to think that God knows each one of us by name. And, and I think I said this a couple weeks ago. He's got our picture on his dresser. He looks at, oh, Elaine. Oh, oh, I love you, Elaine. She's so special. He says the same about you, though, John, too. So <laughs> but he says that about all of us. All right? Why? Why does he say that? Because he created us, right? And in spite of us, right? He doesn't give up. Does that sound like a mother-father or mother-father yes. relationship, right? Of course, all of you had children that did exactly what you expected of them, right? <laughs> Isn't that how? 
a great, uh, he's a great little theologian. One little part from here. Instinctively, Mary, tur Mary turned to Jesus whenever anything went wrong. Good place to turn, right? Think about that now. Where do you turn when everything goes wrong? Ah, do we turn to Jesus? Ah, think about that. She knew her son. It was not till he was 30 years old that Jesus had left home. <laughs> what you thinking here? All right? Mine's 15 and I'm counting down. <laughs> I sense that, all right? All right? When I was seven, mine were counting down, all right? And the tail ender of five, you know, by 10 years. So I, I didn't get 10 years. So uh, there is an old legend which tells of the days when Jesus was a little baby in the home in Nazareth. It tells how in those days when people felt tired and worried and hot and bothered and upset, they would say, let us go and look at Mary's child. And they would go and look at Jesus, and somehow all their troubles rolled away. It is still true that those who know Jesus intimately instinctively turn to him when things go wrong and they never find him wanting. Wow. That's a pretty powerful. I'll get out of your way for Hebrews chapter 12. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from beginning to end. Um, there's a lot of cartoons on this story. Um, here we have um, Jesus turns water into wine, but Kenny has a half class empty attitude. Yes. <laughs> Only reds? <laughs> what's, what's going on here? Um, with that in mind, we need to read the story. So, um, if somebody would be willing to read chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Um, Jim, would you be willing to read that? Sure. Um, John chapter 2, this, this is a story of the wedding of Cain. Listen to it very, very carefully because the skip word, the, the skip that we're about to experience uh, adds a few things to the basic story. So I think we, it's important that we get the basic story. Jim, please. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. <laughs> but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Okay, we're going to do a skip in seven scenes. When the, it's titled When the Wine Runs Out. Um, Scene one, two weeks before the wedding. Scene two, the second day of the reception. We're going to be introduced to Mary and Rhoda. Scene three, the third day of the reception. Scene four, the fourth day of the reception. Again, Mary and Rhoda. Scene five, the fourth day, minutes later. Scene six, still the fourth day, later in the afternoon. Scene seven, the fourth day, evening. So we, we've got... Uh, so. The skit kind of ends, but we're going to end the skit after this. So if our players can take their place up here, uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be the narrator. I'm going to be Saint John. And if we can all put our so everybody knows who we are, if we can 
put our little uh, our little tags on. Can you read this? It says, yeah, I'm the evangelist, John. Uh, here's Levi the caterer. There's the father of the groom, Reuben. Here's David, the best man. And these two lovely ladies, Rhoda, Mary's best friend forever, and Mary, the mother. This is Benny the groom. This is Jesus. And this is the waiter. Okay. And that, by, by the way, do you know what, why Levi became so important? No. Because he had the right genes. Uh. <laughs> and um, when it gets to your part, if everybody in that scene can stand up and read, okay? So, I have the first part. I'm John the Evangelist. I really don't know why my fellow gospel writers chose to omit this wonderful story of the crazy wedding reception at Cana in Galilee. But it was not only crazy, but it is one of my most treasured memories of my beloved Jesus, because it is a story that gives us a picture of what a wonderful person Jesus was. While most people remember the story because of the extravagant generosity of Jesus' first miracle, I and the other disciples remember it because it is the first of the signs that Jesus did in which he manifested his glory, and most important, it was at the end of the reception when the cobwebs cleared that we realized we believed in him. I am sure you are curious about the wedding and how it came to be. First, you need to know that weddings at that time were very big events, not only for the couple, but even more so for the families. The wedding took place at least a year after the contract for the marriage was made between the two families. And often the bride and groom didn't know each other that well. There was no courtship like we know of today, but weddings are weddings, and you will see some similarities between the wedding I write about and the weddings of your day. Second, you need to know that Benny, the groom, and um, David, the best man, grew up together in Nazareth. Their mothers, Mary, Jesus' mom, and Rhoda, Benny's mom, were lifelong friends. So let me begin the story with the obligatory meeting with the caterer, who was well known all along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> the caterer was Levi, and he is meeting with Reuben, the father of the groom, who was responsible for paying for the reception, and David, the best friend of the groom, whose responsibility it was to make sure that everything went well at the reception. Scene one. Oh, I am so glad I only have two daughters, and glad my second daughter is so much younger. This wedding is going to make me poor. You want this nice or not so nice? Of course I want this nice, like really nice. You think I want my friends and neighbors to think I'm cheap? No, nice. Uh, so what do you suggest? And for my friend Benny, the groom, I am concerned that we have enough of everything. I think we were planning for four or five days? No, no, a full seven. You think I want my friends to think I'm trying to be cheap? Good, I'll get the word out. A full seven days, great, and nice. So how many people do we plan for? A big crowd? Small group? How many? My best friend Benny, the groom, has been a friend of a, of a man named Jesus since they were both little boys in Nazareth. They grew up together, so Rhoda, Benny's mother, invited her best friend, Mary, the mother of this man. Of course, Benny invited Jesus, and now Jesus has this group of men to hang out with. <laughs> Jesus said he wouldn't come unless he could bring his whole gang with him. <laughs> and then they had to invite Mary's other sons, too. So that's 17 headed to the list. <laughs> uh, we had 70 on the invite list, so let's plan for 87. Well, this is what I suggest. You know what a good reputation I have. I will have all my favorite dishes ready, and my crew, they are the best. But I have to pay them for eight days since it takes half a day to set up, and then half a day to clean up, plus the seven days. So, Levi, are we using your servants, or do I bring my crew? If I have to use your servants, it will cost you more. My servants, uh, I'm giving them the week off. They are of little worth. Your crew it is. How much will that cost? You want this nice? I thought so. 
We'll talk about that later. So I will have my most famous fruit display of figs and apricots and grapes and pomegranates and plums, which I will refresh daily. The nut tables have always been a big hit at my receptions. We will have five different kinds of bread, and we will alternate between veal and lamb, starting with veal and ending with veal. And of course, my famous cheeses that I import from around the world. What about the wine? You haven't mentioned that. Well, that is really something different. I have this wonderful shipment of wine coming from Moab that I would suggest we begin with. And then, of course, we always follow that with the stuff from Shechem because it's not that terrible and really inexpensive. After the second day, well, you know, people will drink anything and they don't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Why don't we do the Moab wine the first day and then do the Shechem's for the rest of the time? When we have enough wine. I have never run out of wine, never. The only thing is, if all your friends and neighbors are wine bibbers. Oh, no. All my friends and neighbors are very circumspect. David, Jesus, and his gang... What kind of drinkers are they? I don't know, but they seem to really enjoy life. <laughs> and so the wedding happens and the reception is underway. Scene two, Mary and Rhoda. Oh, Mary, I'm so glad that you were able to come. Haven't our two sweet little boys grown up to be such wonderful and good-looking men? They have, and I'm sure you are so proud of Benny, now a married man and is such a lovely young lady. And this is such a nice celebration. And you know, Benny is taking over the family business. He's so good at it. So shrewd and quick. So when will Jesus be settling down? I don't know. He doesn't seem to be much interested in marriage. Joseph and I have been trying to arrange things for him, but it's not his time. I think he might be thinking of some higher calling. <laughs> what about these men that are hanging around him? They are a menagerie of men, if I have ever seen one. Some of them are really scary. That one named Judas, I wouldn't trust him with my broom. <laughs> don't worry. If they're friends of Jesus, you don't have to worry. But I do know what you mean. We shouldn't judge a book by its cover, should we? Thank you. By the third day, the party is in full swing, but there is a concern. Hey, Benny, what do you think? Quite a celebration, don't you think? It's the best. What do you think about the food? I think Levi and his crew is living up to his reputation. It's really the best. Hey, guys, uh, I'm a bit concerned. Levi came to me this morning, and he is concerned about his supply of wine. It seems there is this group of friends of your good friend Jesus that are really enjoying themselves. <laughs> I mean, like, really. I couldn't not invite Jesus, and Jesus is such a good guy. Don't worry, it'll be okay. But we can't run out of wine. Talking about the wine, the wine the first day was so good, but then something happened. The wine the last two days has been, well, not the best. I think most will lose their interest in drinking that stuff, so I don't think we need to worry. <laughs> Nothing to worry about, but if you know something can go wrong, it usually does. Scene four, Mary and Rhoda. Mary, I'm so glad I found you. The worst thing has happened. <clears throat> I just want to disappear. Reuben, Benny's father, and for better or for worse, my husband, <laughs> that he would go, that it would go well. But it seems that he has skimped on the wine. I was afraid this was going to happen. You mean they've run out of wine? We need to end the reception now. We will never live it down. I don't know what to do. Let me talk to Jesus. I'm afraid his gaggle of friends might be responsible for this. <laughs> and this becomes one of the best parts of the story. Scene five, the fourth day of the reception, minutes later. Jesus, where have you been? Mom, you really look upset. What's wrong? I've been right here all along. They have no more wine. 
Why do you love me? It's not my problem. My time has not yet come. Jesus, sometimes your entitlement drives me crazy. <laughs> Are you just walking away? Don't you care? If you hadn't brought all your friends, this wouldn't have happened. Who are these guys? Do you really want them hanging around you? Waiter, waiter, you see that man walking away? That's my son. Listen to me. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. Uh, with all due respect, we only take orders from our boss, Levi. Sorry. Listen, honey, if you want to save your boss, <laughs> if you don't do what that man says, you will be forever sorry, and no one 2,000 years later will remember who you were and <laughs> what important role you might have had. So get your little self over there and do whatever you have to do. Okay. Okay, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Uh, scene number six. Still the fourth day later in the afternoon. Extravagant generosity. Well, it's the way Jesus is. So, waiter, did a woman talk to you about me? Yeah, but uh, how did you know? Uh, don't worry about it. I knew everything. <laughs> Get your crew and fill those six jars with water. What? you got to be kidding. You know how far the well is? <laughs> do it. If you do it, do it. You will not be remembered in history. <laughs> no, but I get the point. We'll get on it. Two hours later. Waiter. Exhausted. Jesus, sir, we've got them filled. I hope you're happy. And they are filled to the brim. All the way. I work for tips. Usually the staff has remembered if we work really hard. Uh, maybe later. Now take some to take some of it and have Levi taste it. Taste water? What's the deal? Just do it. Understand? Okay. Okay. In what follows, we learn a lot about Jesus. Scene 7, fourth day evening. <coughs> Levi, you promised me. And now I am really upset. And if I were a man of violence, I would pummel you to an inch of your life. There is no more wine. Reuben, I was hoping to catch you because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> there is wine. And I want to know where you got this wine. There is no more wine. We ran out. You're talking nonsense, and we have a major crisis. Rhoda is beside herself. <laughs> Settle down and taste this. And there's more. Lots more where this came from. Whoa, this is really good stuff. <laughs> so what's the deal? I was supposed to supply the wine, and you know what happened with that gang of drinkers? We ran out. And then my waiter brings me this carafe of wine and asks me to taste it. Well, first I looked at it, and it had a color that I had not seen in a wine in years. Then I swirled it and it swirled like mercury, silky and beautiful. And when I smelled it, I smelled apricots and almonds with a hint of milkmaid. But when I sipped it, my olfactory and my taste combined to send me into an experience of ecstasy that I can't describe in a family-friendly environment. And then I swallowed it and the heavens opened. And I received a message from Bacchus, the god of wine that I would never, ever forget this moment. Are you okay? <laughs> of course not, but I want to know where you got this wine. And between you and me, is there any more? <laughs> Come with me and let me show you. Thank you. Of course there was more, and the reception went on for three days, and everyone was happy. But it was more than just a miracle. This miracle was to be followed by sign after sign as Jesus manifested his glory. And it was this first sign, a sign of Jesus' extravagant generosity, that caused me and the rest of the disciples to believe in Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect. 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 Thank you, Rhoda. Uh, 
Um, again, as I said, there's a lot of cartoons about this. Um, of course, Jesus would be uh, first on the list for bar mitzvahs and uh, birthdays. This book was recommended, Beautiful Outlaw, by Chris Bookless, who, with Christy, his wife, were here last week. Uh, they're at their church today, but uh, Chris is John's son. And at the end of the class, he recommended this book, Beautiful Outlaw, Experiencing the Playful, Disruptive, Extravagant Personality of Jesus. I ordered it Sunday evening. It arrived Tuesday. And this book, what it does, his whole point is that we don't know who Jesus is until we get in touch with his personality. And he makes the point that we know only because we have a sense of his personality. Um, and until we know a person's personality, we really can't have a personal relationship with him. This book does that. And if you don't think it's good, just ask my granddog. <laughs> my granddog got a hold of it. And, and, uh, and it was, it, it's kind of dried out now, but it was sloppy. There were pieces of paper all over it. So, um, but this is a, a wonderful book because what it does, it affirms what Pastor Frail, what Pastor Chip and I are trying to do in order to show that there's another side to Scripture and there's certainly another side to Jesus. And of course, uh, today's story certainly shows that in terms of his extravagant personality. It gives us help in chapter 6 for the awkward exchange between Jesus and his mother. For a long time, I got into this whole thing that, that Jesus was rude to his mom. Uh, the first is the temple experience. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Uh, the fact that he uh, would not let his parents know where he is. Isn't that the number one thing that we expect of our children? Let, let me know where you are. Twelve years old, he disappears. They are on the road back home two days before they realize he's missing. I mean, it, it's also a reflection on their parenting, right? <laughs> if you go two days without noticing that your kid is missing, you're good. You know, uh, and uh, the, 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 the good thing is that they have enough of sense to look in the temple, and then when they get to the temple, it's, it's uh, a little bit... And then uh, we have this situation in Mark chapter 3. In, in your Bibles, if you can turn to Mark chapter 3, this is after Matthew. Mark chapter 3. Again, it gives us a little bit of inclination. Um, uh, chapter 3 of Mark, verse uh, 20. I'll read it. Then Jesus went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And then later in the chapter, you have what I think could be interpreted as a real put-down. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and mother. Uh, and then we get to the wedding at Cana. You know, and, and if we just listen to it, it's like, wow, you know, is he, is he dissing her? Is he... Um, and this is where this book helped me, finally. John Eldridge said, it all has to do with the tone of his voice in terms of how he said it. And also, with the relationship between Jesus and his mom if he said it playfully 
with a wink and a smile like that, it changes the whole picture. Because uh, as, as Pastor Chip said earlier, Mary knew what to do. She knew who to go to. And she knew, not right now, but remember, all you have to do is ask. And she asked, and she, my hunch is that she kind of relaxed and said, Jesus will handle it. And did he? Absolutely. How much did Jesus make? Uh, he made between 180 gallons. If we take the middle amount of 150 gallons, it equals 585 liters, or 757 bottles of wine, or 63 cases. How many has a wine? How many of you have a wine cellar that can handle 63 cases of wine? That's what I thought. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, we, we, we don't. Uh, it would probably fill half of you. If you have a two-car garage, it would fill half of your one half of your garage with 63 cases. That's yeah. Okay, now, not only, and, and see this is where in John Eldridge's book, it's, it's extravagant generosity. And if Jesus made wine, what kind of wine would it be? It wouldn't be two-buck chuck, would it be? <laughs> Absolutely not. How about, and what I did, I went online and I said, I typed in the most expensive bottle of wine, and this is what it came up. I can't even pronounce it. It's from France. Uh, it's priced right now at $5,921 per bottle. Good enough to reveal the glory of God. See, that's what this is about, to reveal the glory of God. Um, and, uh, and when, um, was it Levi who tasted the wine and had that ecstatic experience? I mean, that was the glory of God exploding in his mind as he tasted that stuff. Uh, not Bacchus, not Bacchus. And please don't write Pastor Harmon about the fact that <laughs> <laughs> You might have this all to yourself next week. <laughs> Bacchus was just tongue-in-cheek fun. Okay. Uh, and it, five, uh, it would equal about four, four and a half million dollars in U.S. In, in today's currency. Um, Twenty-five thousand dollars for flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Four million dollars for wine. Uh, let's do the wine. <laughs> okay. Hey Jesus, that was amazing. How you turned water into wine? Could you change these sticks into a set of bath towels? I forgot to bring a wedding gift. <laughs> Come on, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and his disciples believed him. The first sign. If we go to John chapter 1, 49 to 51, um, this is the lead-in right, right into chapter 2. Um, it's the calling of the disciples. And Jesus and Nathaniel have this incredible conference, uh, encounter. If someone could read those uh, three verses, John chapter 1, I will. Yes. Then Nathaniel, 49, then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you. I saw you under a fig tree, under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Wow. See, so there's a hint already that what's going on is the encounter with Jesus is to create faith, a believing heart. And then, um, in John 2, verse 11, John the evangelist, the disciple, includes himself with the twelve, as this was the point at which the disciples believed in Jesus. Contrast this with Mark's depiction of the disciples not getting it. That's why I like Mark, Chip, is because in, in the Gospel of Mark, duh, the disciples don't get it. They really don't. Very, it, 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 if you really look at it that way, it provides a place for those who believe in Jesus right away and also those who, like in the disciples in the Gospel of Mark, struggle and don't understand and continue to, to wonder who this Jesus is and what are all the crazy things that he's doing? 
How many signs does it take for belief to be acknowledged? See, that's... Jesus didn't do just one sign. But as Pastor Chip outlined, there's sign after sign after sign. Um, realizing that the first time might, it might not take, or the second, or the fourth time, that these signs that Jesus does... And the problem is, is that we, like John... We are called to give witness to the signs that we see of what Jesus has done, uh, not only in history, but also in our own lives and in our own world. Well, hi. How many of you know that, yes, to life, right? It's the Hebrew blessing that no matter what the situation is, to life. And in the Jewish culture, wine is a symbol of life. Um, and um, in the Passover, the Christian Passover that we did year after year after year, uh, there was a comment that um, wine in the Jewish culture becomes part of living, and that is because people grow up with it, there's no big surprise, and one of the conjectures is, is that that's why alcoholism among Jewish people uh, seems to be much less than their general population, simply they, because they, they, they grow up with it. And um, it's a traditional toast with wine in any circumstance. Pastor Chip asked, what is your wine? And I would like to say that the wine runs out. If wine is that which gives life its joy and its exuberance, um, the wine finally runs out. Um, because I used this in my premarital counseling, many couples chose this text as their wedding text for their, their marriage. And the point that I was able to make in my wedding homily is that the wine runs out, especially in marriage. Sometimes it runs out in six days. Sometimes it runs out in six weeks. Sometimes it's six, six months. Certainly by six years, the wine has run out at some point. And then what? What does a couple do when the wine comes out? What do you think I said in my wedding homily to them? When the wine runs out, what should they do? Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus, absolutely. Turn to the community, turn to your pastor. Uh, because when the wine comes out, it's Jesus who can do what? He can restore the wine, which according to this story will be even better and it will also be more see that's the promise um, and uh, for um, hi Judy uh -oh. do I have permission to say this <laughs> our wine has run out and it runs out frequently. <laughs> Those lousy cupboard doors. First of all, she's trained me to close them. And now I have to I need to put big rubber sponge stoppers on them because when I close them, they go quack. And then yeah. how do you handle cupboard doors? Little bumpers. Little bumpers? <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> we followed you. The promise, the best is yet to come. The promise is more. Than, and then the joy of one reconciliation. Um, how many of you can remember where we went to a funeral of a Christian person and you were filled with joy? It's, it's incredible. Um... And most of the funerals, and I bet most of the funerals you've done too, especially people that came to church that we communed them, and then on their um, closing days, um, when death finally came, wow, those funerals become just an incredible celebration. In the midst of grief and pain, um, there's, there's this incredible joy of, of the feast that will have we sang it this morning no end. no end the marriage feast that has no end it's, it's in our morning um, 
Okay, um, the joy of, and the other things that they're like. And I think that's, um, this is next week, but let's go back and see questions. We have a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> One last thought from my perspective okay. on this is, you know, when we think in terms of our, our being as the church today, uh, every time we celebrate the sacrament, we're celebrating the lifeblood of Jesus, right? His, his offering that as, as, as a sacrifice for our lives. And, and it takes it all the way back to the Old Testament, Leviticus, one of my favorite books, right? Which says, life is in the blood. And for you and for me, our life is in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb, see? And, and his willingness to offer it as a sacrifice for us and that's why, you know, uh, it was interesting as I worshiped last Sunday in a Lutheran church in Milwaukee, well, Wauwatosa, <laughs> outside of Milwaukee. Uh, the first question that Kathy asked me when I got home, because she didn't go with me, she said, did they have communion? And I said, no. And I said, that was missing. That was missing because there's that reminder for us, all right, that, that in, the, in the sacrament, God reminds us of the shedding of the blood, right, for us. The wine, right? The reality of Christ's action on our behalf because he values who we are as his people. And, and so this really does kind of all fit together, right? And that's why a lot of times I would say to couples, so would you like to have communion at your wedding? happened here. I didn't have many takers. You know what? Well, we got to get this over with so we can get to the reception. <laughs> no, they didn't say that. We got to the reception. Or, get to the reception, all right? Or a lot of Catholic in the family. Yeah. Catholics. Yeah, they right. would also say, oh, because yeah. yeah. they won't be able to come. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I think, though, for us, though, as, as, we, as we think about this particular sign, this particular miracle, how that applies to our daily journey of faith and life, and how God, in His wisdom, all right, uh, saw a way for us and did and did it for us, for us, and what do we say? For us and for our salvation, right? Right. It makes us new. Questions. I also uh, want to reflect on the miracles. Um, if you look at the first slide, one of the first ones, Marinu and I happen to be in the Bible reading in the book of John, and we commented to each other that what is a prerequisite to God's miracles? Sometimes it says, because of your faith, others, not at all. And here, he's, I'll say, maybe he was even a little grumpy to his mother, and if that's true, then he still didn't. So God's mercy and grace are seen in his miracles. It does, it, it's endless, but out bounds. John Rubin, who is a New Testament scholar, do you know mm -hmm. right. He referred to the miracles uh, of Jesus as lightning flashes of God's grace. Yeah. Wow. Lightning flashes of God's grace. And that's really what they are. John, you're talking about how you read what Jesus says and what is he doing when he says it and it comes out differently. This is something I've heard from a, in a sermon in front of a pastor. When you think about Jesus talking to the Syrophoenician woman who came to get help. Another example. Says, it, it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. But if you read it as he's looking at his disciples and he's voicing their thoughts, I was sent to washing Israel because that's what you're thinking. Yeah, right. I'm not looking Ooh, at her. Good, good, guys. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, and they're like, because mm, he's looking at them. He's voicing their thoughts. And right. then it's a different, he's not saying it. Absolutely. Okay, next week, Talking God Off the Ledge.
uh, two stories between Abraham and God when God was ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. It's incredible as... as um, and then uh, God and Moses, when God was ready to destroy the people and start over with Moses. Outrageous, a God with genocide in his eye. We're going to take a look at that. Uh, this is more on the outrageous side of God rather than the hilarious side. So hope to see you all next week. We pray. Dear God, thank you for your word and pray that we would be faithful in that word as the word Jesus Christ, the word become flesh, might walk with us this week, helping us to see and understand the extraordinary work um, in creation and in our lives and our relationship that give us reason to believe. We pray for the Holy Spirit that all that might happen in Christ. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.